Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel. Here is your guide on this journey, Car Wash Magazine Editor-in-Chief, Matt DeWolf. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Car Wash the Podcast. Yes, this is the podcast that makes you a better car washer and a slightly better human being. And today, friends, we're going to focus on both of those things, uh, both from a, a, the perspective of being able to differentiate your business, uh, but then also to think about ways that you can get out of your own way in your personal life to make sure that you can grow your business the way you want to to do that, uh, you're not going to have to listen to me the whole time. We're going to have a conversation with Howard M. Shore. Uh, Howard is going to be uh, joining us here in just a moment. He is the founder and CEO of Activate Group. He's a best-selling author. He's a serial entrepreneur, and he brings a ton of knowledge uh, that he's going to share with us today. So without further ado, here he is, Howard Shore. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Hey, Howard. So... Uh, your topics are super timely for us right now because um, in the car wash industry, we're finding ourselves in this weird inflection point. There's so much interest. There's so much happening. And the business landscape has really changed pretty dramatically in the last 24 months. So I'm really excited for this conversation because it's all super applicable. And I'm, I'm hoping that everybody pays really close attention. So everybody out there listening, like, dial in. Don't be mowing the lawn right now. Like, <laughs> sit down. Be intentional and listen to this thing. Um, so let's start with this growth concept. So you've got a couple of books um, that I think are, are, are great reads for anybody who wants to kind of make sure that they have good background. But I think that in this industry, as fast as we're growing, as much as we're growing, there's still for some organizations this wall that we run into. Like we, we just, we hit a number and we can't get past that. What are some of the things that you've seen uh, in your time that kind of keep these organizations from being able to grow exponentially? Well, there, and it's funny because I'm dealing with the exact same thing with the fitness industry right now. I've got uh, a, a client, they're opening up a new big 50,000 square foot box a month and they're just growing and, and the whole industry is growing. It's not just them. So the first thing I'm going to say to everybody is, you know, check your egos because when the whole yeah. tide is going up, everybody floats up, right? And so you really got to challenge yourself to understand, are you growing faster and a lot faster than everybody else? Or are you just growing with everybody else? Because you're going to get caught surprised when the tide stops going up because it will, right? So, mm -hmm. so there's a bunch of things that I would think about in this industry so that you don't stop growing. So the first thing is you're ultimately going to have to think about your existing customers today. So a number one reason why companies hit a plateau is their customer base is like a treadmill. So they're constantly turning over customers and they're not doing the amazing job they should for them. And when you don't, you will eventually get a brand in the market that is kind of considered mediocre and you're not going to be the hottest thing anymore. So I would look at those customers first and then not only make sure that you're doing what they really want, but when you do it well, turn them into raving fans. So they're going to keep coming back if they're a raving fan versus just a customer. 
and they're going to invite others because they had such a great experience. And so to me, that's your number one move. And most people, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, Howard, duh. But when I go and I look at companies, it's just not happening. So uh, so I look at their first. Are you doing what they want? And, and, and so forth. Uh, then the next thing I would think about is think about average membership fees. So one of our, the, the client I'm thinking about in fitness, uh, we actually added another level of member. And what we realized mm -hmm. by doing that is when people drop down from one level of membership, they were more apt to take the new level we put in than going to the bottom. The other thing is we found out there was a really nice space in the middle. So I would look at your membership fees as an opportunity to maybe get people to move up a notch. So in that particular case, average dues for, for our health club actually went up over 30% overnight. So they didn't have to add any more members than they already planned, but they had a lot more revenue and that, all that revenue was profit. And the same thing is gonna be uh, for the car washes. The other thing that I would think about is you have to understand your geography, right? So. Each geography is only going to draw a certain number of people. And you've got to make sure that you're expanding your footprint as you're, you're, you're growing. So you're only going to get a certain amount of people, depending on the location you have, that are going to want to go there. And then it's only going to have a certain amount of capacity. You know, you have your peak times and everything. So you can spread it out a little bit, but not a ton. And so I would also think if you want to keep growing, you know, you got to do like Starbucks and the other companies. You've got to add density and locations in those yeah. key areas once you have that brand or you're going to start overheating the one location and you're going to start seeing some, some runoff. Yeah, well, and when you get if you if you push too much volume to that one location, obviously you can only build the thing to do so much, right? It can't, it, it, it's got, it's going to hit a limit at some point, whether that's 1500 cars a day, whether it's 3000 cars a day, whether it's 10,000 cars a day, you're going to run into a point where you're like, oh, we cannot provide the same service to our customer base. And I think your, your topic or your um, comments about customers and existing customers in that journey is like a, it's like my passion point of all time. Like, and we don't do a good enough job in this industry of, what happens after the customer leaves the lot? We do a pretty good job of making sure that that experience on site is great. But once they leave, we're, we, we sort of lose track of them and we're just sort of hoping that they're gonna come back. So I think that's a huge area of opportunity. That's super, super good. I wanna, I wanna ask you um, with this average membership fees thing you were talking about, how much, how much can people play in that space in terms of like how nimble can we be when we're playing with pricing like that? Well, you know, there's a couple of things that we had, we looked at when we, uh, when, when, we, when that move happened, first of all, we looked at what is the competition doing? And they actually yeah. figured out that their competition already had this tier of pricing that they didn't have. And what was really interesting was that getting people to move from having to sign an annual contract versus there was a value to them to basically have no contract and come every month. And what was really yeah. crazy is the retention was still the same as it was when you got the annual contracts. And now people are paying $3 more. 
And but the three dollars more was far less than all the amenities and all the other things that you want for the higher price point. So you've got to tinker. I think you play with things. You see what works, what doesn't. You move it around. You know, the old days, and, and as I was mentioning earlier, I wish I was a little bit younger. <laughs> In the <laughs> old days, you know, the rule was is you only had three different price points and then everybody moved to the middle. Well, in this case, we had a fourth price point and the, and the fourth one, which is also in the middle, but in the middle bottom is actually the most popular price point and is driving everything. Oh, that's interesting. You're, you're going to make me rethink my whole approach to, to car wash menus. Well, I don't, I, I don't want to talk too much longer about that topic. I don't want to, I don't want to change that particular <laughs> train of thought. Um, but I think that's really interesting because it does go to, it goes to customer psychology and it goes to being willing to be a little nimble and not being afraid to be transparent with your customer base, right? So it's okay to like tinker with your prices a little bit. And as long as you're communicating with that base and you're being very open and transparent about what you're trying to do, I think people are understanding and they get it. It's a business. I mean, we kind of expect that. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit because, so we talked about focusing on the existing customers. Um, obviously, in any space, as there becomes more competition, one of the things that you struggle with probably uh, is finding new customers, right? So how am I different from the other guys? How can I differentiate? And especially um, in this industry, there's a there's some, I'm not sure the right word for it, maybe some animosity stirring, some unease, some trepidation around people building on top of each other, getting a little too close, right? Because there used to be this rule, like you wouldn't build within X, uh, X number of miles of a competitor. But we're seeing people building across from each other in some, some regions. How in those kinds of situations do we kind of differentiate uh, and acquire new customers? So here's the problem. Everybody looks at customers as a demographic, but they're different human beings. <laughs> and yeah. so remember, you're selling to a customer. So when we think about differentiation, we think about hyper-segmenting the market to different groups of people with deep, different needs. So I'll just share an, a recent experience of mine. Uh, there's a there's a, a newer wash that popped up. I didn't even know it existed. I Googled it. And, and then I'm like, hey, let me go check it out. My, my existing place I was used to going to for years, I lost my trust. And so I'm, I got to try a new place, which, by the way, is going to happen all the time to all of you, right? So your job <laughs> is to gobble up those people when they get a little disenchanted with the guy, even if they're across the street. And, and so... Now, what's interesting is I went to a car wash that didn't meet my needs, right? And so, of course, I still played around with it because I knew I was going to be doing this talk. So I went back a yeah. few times just to do it. And I'm like, man, this is just so not me, all right? So I go through and they actually wanted me to do my own work. That is not <laughs> my, I don't fit that demographic, right? I want to show up, uh, basically kiss my you know what and take care of everything. Yeah. I will pay you handsomely for that because I don't want to do it. So now I go through this place. I get into fights to try to park because the way the, the layout was, was, was definitely not a good layout. So those of you who are listening, strategy is your footprint of your location, right? So if you design that wrong, you try to cram something in a bad place, that's a bad business model. So you've got to make sure you get locations and design the footprint so that people... For me, here I am fighting to get my spot so I can vacuum and wash my stuff off, which I didn't want to do to begin with. And now I'm fighting with people for spots and there's no one helping me for it. So, so, so getting back to all of this is the most of the people there 
they want to pay less and they're willing to go and do all of that. But then you've got to think about what is the experience? Did they have to wait? There were no cloths there. There were no clean cloths for me to wipe anything down. I mean, it was just an awful experience. And I went back to see if it changed. And each time I went, I had a different experience. So strategy, though, is matching up your offering to your core customer. So, so take Apple, take a Kia, all right? Take actually one of my favorite ones is Trader Joe's. All right. So yeah. take an industry of, of groceries, right? And they basically carved out and they did things that most people, if, if I asked you to invest in that company and I told you what they were going to do, you'd say, no way. You're like, all right, we're not going to use technology. All right. We're going to have double the number of employees per square foot as everybody else. When everybody else has 30,000 SKUs, stock keeping units, we're going to only have 3,000. And by the way, half the time, you won't be able to come back and get those same things ever again. And, and by the way, you're going to wait 15 minutes to park because our parking is awful. All right. And you're going to come through very narrow aisles while we're stocking. I can keep going. Right. So if you're hearing this story, you're like, there's no way they were brilliant. All right. Not only did they make far more profit per square foot than any other grocery chain, they grew to billions. All right. In a market where everybody wasn't making money and it didn't seem like there was any space for any new players. Is Trader Joe's, I'm, I might get this wrong, so somebody's going to have to fact check me, but I feel like I read that Trader Joe's fundamentally, uh, if, you, if you strip away all the things, what they're ultimately selling people is um, the equivalent of like the generic brand items from any other, insert other retailers, right? It's like, it's, it's, um, it's in, it's in-house brand stuff, right? Like, cause you don't go to Trader Joe's and buy, um, I don't know, uh, Spindrift, which is, which I'm drinking. You know, like that just doesn't happen, right? You buy Trader Joe's brand, everything. It's all a Trader Joe's, but you're right. Like <laughs> you can't get the same thing twice, <laughs> and but you put up with it because you're somehow brand loyal because they created an experience for you that works if you're in their, if you're in their target and, audience. And you're now the experience. So what's ironic is my wife is their core customer. I'm not. So she yeah. loves to go in. She chats. And by the way, they pay everybody to chat with you for hours about their products and walk you around. <laughs> so she chats with them. She likes to haunt and pack and see what's new. Look at every single aisle. Every that, For me, that's hell. All right. I don't know about the rest of these people. That's hell for me. Yeah. Right. But she's also the one that goes to Marshall's to see what's new stuff. And she walks through all the racks and all of that. So they catered to that person. And then they made it so that listen, everything they have there is private labeled. So you're buying the same stuff you buy elsewhere, but then they have these stories yes. on the packaging that just makes it like so special, right? So for somebody like my wife, you know, it's like a high five every time she goes in there. It's going to just be something special for experience. So getting back to the car wash, I think there are ways in which you can spin it, but know who your who is and then own. So that's what Trader Joe's did. That's what Ikea did. Um, and that's what Apple did is they didn't look at the whole market. They said, listen, we're only interested in 10% of the whole market of people that they're going to buy their products and services. And then we want to own like 70% of that market. Let everybody yeah. else have all those other customers we don't want and we didn't build for. Yeah, it's, it's that old adage, right? Like you can't be all things to all people. So, so go to the people that you can be best for and, and be that for all of them. Um, Let's shift, let's shift a little bit into 
maybe some additional uh, acquisition strategies. So we talked a little bit about uh, differentiation. If I'm in this industry and I, I know that it's a competitive landscape, what are some things that I should be trying to do in terms of acquisition? I mean, like there's like down in the weeds tactical stuff like, oh, like do geofencing. Oh, make sure you're on social. But what, how would you approach it? How would you advise folks in this industry in terms of ideal customer acquisition? So I'm going to be super careful here. One thing everybody should clarify is what is your, what is your expertise and what are you great at? I am not a marketer. Yes. But what I will tell you is I do watch marketing in different companies. Let's go back to Trader Joe's. They do yes. none. Their customer, their 100% word of mouth to the point where when people want a location in their market, they set up Facebook pages for in their own effort and start driving communities to try to get Trader Joe's to bring a location into their market. And for those people that don't have one, they bring extra suitcases in the markets that have them and fill them. So, you know, for me, when you've done the right thing for your right customer, they're going yeah. to find you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to go. So in your business, I would say the number one thing is, you know, making sure that you've got that perfect match and that the customer knows what they're getting as well. And so that really helps draw and, and location, 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 you know, and, you know, basically for me, the car wash is almost like a real estate play. I, I would own the real estate yeah. personally. Um, and, and the thing is, if you choose the right location that is in the middle of the people that you're looking for, like they're passing it every day, there is no better marketing to me than that. And then, and by the way, as long as there's some people, as long as the lines aren't like down the street, like Trader Joe's, they're going to come in, they're going to try you. So, so I would say in this industry that, that, that to me is, you know, my go-to is I would spend a ton of research on where I put the location. The second thing that I'm, you know, Look, I found this other location, this new one I tried. I Googled it. Googled it. You can't help yeah. not to Google. But I think social and getting your clients involved in the social of the good experience and interacting with your employees and all of that is going to be another good draw. I think it's different than SEO. I think Facebook and Instagram and all of that you know, how often are, are, are there pics all over the place of going to the car wash? And if you guys can create an experience like that, like almost like a Trader Joe's experience, yeah. it's going to go viral. And, and I, I would think if I wanted to be different, the other thing that's going to be strange is a lot of people have given up on, on direct mail. And, yeah. and almost all of our consumer clients, direct mail has been a windfall and actually has been the highest and cheapest acquisition in, in, in certain sectors. Yeah, that's really interesting. We have that we have that conversation all the time uh, in some of our marketing groups. We have some people who are very anti-direct mail, and we have some others who, you know, are very intentional with the way they use it. And I think that's how you can make it work. But I, uh, for if you're listening out there and you're thinking about um, ways you can enhance your direct mail stuff, they're they're getting much better now about being able to actually track that because that was one of the complaints for a long time with direct mail was that. You had no idea what your real ROI was, and it was maybe, you know, maybe it was 0.02%. It was terrible, right? It was, it was the estimates, estimates on it were not good. But now they're starting to track that holistically so you can see uh, who acted on that offer, who did what with that direct mail piece, and then that goes into the digital space, and then you can do more with it. And then voila, you have people in this journey. So super kind of uh, interesting stuff going on in that space. Um, 
one of the things that I think is super important when we think about customer acquisition in general is kind of what we were talking about with these other brands, right? And like knowing who you want and like, who's the ideal customer. I think that's super, super important. Are there any tips in terms of like how we can make sure we're thinking about that or like to help us remember that so we don't ch chase the shiny things and try to do too much? So one of my favorite books on this subject, uh, God rest his soul, Bob Bloom uh, wrote it. He was the uh, CEO of Publicis at the time. That was the largest advertising agency in the world. And you know, he's helped brands like Southwest Airlines from, from the inception days, uh, BMW, the ultimate um, driving machine, uh, and some other great brands everybody would recognize. And uh, in the name of the book is called The Inside Advantage. So uh, okay. what that book helped me realize was that we already had a group of customers that we wanted a lot more of. They were the ones that were going to refer us. They're the ones that would pay more. They're the ones that are going to keep coming back. And we really had to understand the DNA of those. And, and what that book does is it breaks it down into basically four strategic components. First, really defining who in 20 words or less. And there's some great examples in that book. Uh, and then once you know your who, you've got to figure out, all right, so based on that, what are the diff what is it I'm not going to do? And what is it that I must double and triple up on so that that who is happy? And then once you do that, you know, he's got two other steps and, and the last one being own it. So everything you market in your company, every advertisement you send out, every conversation as people are going through the lines should be tying back to that what you're doing for that who. And, and that's really how you kind of separate it. But to me, I would spend a significant amount of time defining the person. It's not, yeah. you know, uh, necessarily wealthy or, 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 or uh, frugal, or it, there, there's other things that they're, they're looking to accomplish that you do. And when you describe them as a person, you start seeing, like for example, in my household, um, my wife, Trader Joe's, me, hell no. Right. But but yeah. she still captures in this geography. So figuring out, you know, who and, and, and you've got to be very careful also that it may not transcend all the way across all the geographies you were thinking. So let me, let me go back to my um, health club client. They realized that they were going to win in a market most people didn't want to play, which was putting these big box gyms right next to universities. And, yeah. uh, and, and also in military towns. So they've been buying up real estate only in those markets. So they don't come down where I am in Miami, um, in my nice suburban neighborhood. No, no, they're up there where all there are are college students or military people. And that's where they nail it and they speak to them. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. We do, we do get trapped sometimes of kind of getting down the rabbit hole. And I think that um, the more that we can use the data that is at our fingertips, because we're getting more and more of that every day to help us identify those ideal customers and then to go um, really passionately and really aggressively after creating experiences that suit their needs, the better off we're all going to be. Um, so, yeah. All right, Howard, I'm going to let you go in just a minute, but there's one last question I, I'd like to ask everybody because I, I like, uh, you know, at the top of the show here, I said that we make people um, better car washers and slightly better human beings. So from whatever lens you want to approach this question, uh, I want to know what can I do today to be better tomorrow? One thing. All right. So the one thing, and I'm going to steal from Jim Collins, and, and it's the, the organizations 
that have more of the right people hired win. Mm. So you, the percentage of your people that not only meet whatever KPIs you want to set up from the key performance indicators, but most importantly, uh, also live all of your core values, the more you fill your organization with those people, the more likely you're going to win. And, and the more you don't master that talent, even in a very difficult market, the more frustrated you're going to be. Great advice. Great advice. Jim, that, that's a, that's a great, uh, great person to steal from. I steal from them all the time. <laughs> so excellent, excellent uh, wisdom here from Howard Shore. Howard, thank you so much for spending some time with us today to share some of your story and to share some of your wisdom uh, with our community. I'm so happy to be here and I can't wait to meet everyone. Hey friends, you can get more episodes like this, more stories, more inspiration uh, anywhere you're consuming your podcast content. And friends, when you're out there, Killing and washing cars, there's just one thing you've got to do, and that is keep it clean. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners.